This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne-WY-Giving. So 1 Peter, why is this included in the letters to young churches? It, it doesn't say the letter of Peter the Apostle to uh, this church or the letter of Peter the Apostle to that church or anything like that. Well, if we look at both 1 and 2 Peter at the opening lines, and I've got them both here. Let me go ahead and pull them, pull them open. The very first, the first epistle of Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So this is addressed to, he calls it the strangers that are scattered throughout and he gives us these five different regions here, Pontus, Galatia, which we knew there were churches in Galatia because Paul wrote a letter to them. Cappadocia, Asia, which is Asia Minor, which includes Galatia, I believe. Bithynia, it's addressed to believers that are scattered abroad in those places. And you have to remember what comprises a church. Is it a building in a location? Or is it the presence of born-again believers, children of God, gathered into an area, gathered as an assembly together to worship God in spirit and truth, etc.? Well, we know that that's what it is. What defines a church is the collection of people. Therefore, we don't have to have a church building to gather in in order to be called a church. We don't have to have a synagogue. We don't have to have a temple. We don't have to have any of those things in order to be considered a church. All we have to have is two or more gathered in his name. Amen. Amen. All right. So there we are. And then second Peter, it's addressed similarly with a little bit uh, less detail, but it says in, in 2 Peter, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So both of his letters are addressed to believers of either multiple locations or of no specific location. And as we have now established or have agreed that a church is defined and established as being a group of people assembled together in like faith, etc., we conclude that these are also letters to young churches. And so let's go ahead and dive in. Chapter 1, we've already read verses 1 and 2. And so let's go right into the next paragraph. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again under the lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Man, that sounds like a nice promise. That's a, that's a wonderful reminder right at the beginning of this letter as far as what, what it even means, some of the benefits of being a child of God and, a, and uh, a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read it again. He says, Blessed be God the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he makes that distinction there. It's important to remember they are not the same person. Oneness theology really is a, a swing and a miss. 
And you see this repeated. Oh, it's a recurring theme in the letters of the apostles, how he makes certain to differentiate between God, our father or God, the father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He makes sure to make a distinction there. And he goes on and says, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. That's a reminder that that which God has set aside and has set in store for us, that which he has prepared for us is something that is in no danger of being lost by the circumstances of this world or by the things that by the things that beset the material wealth of the world. Amen? Amen. And that just ties into what Jesus taught us back in the Sermon on the Mount. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where thieves break through and steal and where moth and moths and rust corrupt and, and diminish the worth and the value and the glory of what you have. He says to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. These are those treasures that Jesus spoke of. He says that it's reserved in heaven. It's undefiled. It doesn't fade away. It is incorruptible. It's not subject either to rust or to being moth-eaten or, uh, or to losing its value because the stock market tanked or something like that. The wealth that is set aside for us is profound and it can scarcely even be measured. It's profound. So there it is. That's the promise that's, laid, that's, that's set aside for us. Who, verse 5 he says, who are kept by the power of God. He's speaking of us, not, not that inheritance. He's not talking about that now. He's speaking of us. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And that's... What I want to get to for this paragraph, not for the whole lesson tonight necessarily, but for this paragraph, certainly. He says, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Well, what, what was he talking about us rejoicing? Rejoicing in what? Well, the main thing that we're rejoicing in that he's talking about is our salvation and our standing by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the main thing that he's talking about. We rejoice in that. And that's the thing that we ought to rejoice in regularly. All the time we should rejoice in our salvation. Never let that fundamental uh, point of entry into the family of God, never, ever let that become old hat or boring to you. Because man, it came at such a price. It came at such a, a tremendous cost and a price. He says, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Don't let your salvation become boring. Don't let it become boring. So, well, it's not always exciting. though. No, I understand that. I understand that because you're up and moving and you're in the midst of uh, the busyness of this life. That's a known thing. It's something that we all live with. It goes back to an old Buddhist proverb, actually, that says, chop wood, carry water. It means before enlightenment, you chop wood and you carry water. And after enlightenment, you chop wood and you carry water. Well, it applies to us in Jesus Christ also. Not that I'm trying to put Buddhism on the same plane as Christianity, but there are a couple of similarities to be found. But before salvation, we were all about the cares of this life. That's all that we were concerned about. Before we were believed on Jesus, before we were reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus Christ, which Peter refers to in the first paragraph here, before all of that, it was just about the cares of this life and the things that we had to get done. But 
Just because we got saved does not remove the cares of this life, does it? No, if you had to punch a clock at all, you know that none of that changed. You know, we still got, whether it's working on a job or whether it's working to support your family from, uh, from, uh, from home base, so to speak, and you're, you're managing or maintaining a home depending on your station in life and in your marriage, we still have to work. We still have to accomplish things. We still have to do what needs to be done in order to, to live in this world. Now, that being said, though, don't let that overshadow the miracle of, and the triumph of your own salvation. Remember what you were and then compare that to what you are now. Or compare what you are now to what you used to be. You're not the same. Rejoice in that. Even if a hundred things are going wrong, rejoice in that you're not what you used to be. So, well, I'm still a long ways from being what I need to be in God. Well, but you're saved at least, aren't you? And so that's something to rejoice in. And that's what he speaks of here. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, we're in verse six, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's back to the cares of life and back to the trials of life. Things that go wrong or things that might be going wrong or things that are just uh, they're challenges to you right now and they're presenting an obstacle to you or they're just making your life harder. That's the heaviness that he's speaking of. Are you going through tough times right now? That's the heaviness that he's talking of or that he's speaking of. But look at his language here. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season. He didn't say that it's permanent. He didn't say that it's going to last forever. He just says, though now for a season, if need be. And that also is very, very telling. If you're going through something, may well be because it's needful. You're going through a hard time right now. You're going through a dry spell in your relationship with God right now. Or, or you're going through uh, a period where a bunch of natural and earthly things around you are, are just... Uh, up in the air, filled with uncertainty, maybe even some fear, something like that. He says, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. But that's not the end of the sentence, okay? I know it's the end of the verse, but the sentence continues into verse 7. Why? That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with the fire, that we tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Let's stop right there. What you're going through is trying you, and that's good. Because whatever tries you, it tries you like fire, right? So let's talk a little bit about smelting and refining of precious metals, shall we? So and I just want to keep going in the text. No, 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 no. We want this to make sense. We want to understand this, don't we? He says... The trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. So how do you make, how do you refine precious metals and make them worth even more? Now, if you know anything at all about gold, you know that you've got different kinds of gold. And I don't mean fool's gold versus rose gold or, or, uh, or genuine gold or anything like that, but you've got different ratings to it. You've got 24 karat gold. You've got 14 karat gold. You've even got 10 karat gold. Well, that's usually just a, a plating. 10 carat, 14 carat, 24 carat. Well, those refer to how pure that gold is. 
What do you mean? There's impure gold? Well, yes, of course. There's impurities found in almost everything. There might be uh, a little bit of some sort of foreign ore that's in there that isn't gold, or I don't know if you'd call it foreign or alien or what you'd call it, but it re refers to the purity of that metal. And so the higher the number in its carat value, when you're talking about gold, the more pure, the more close, the closer to molecular purity the gold is. Thus, 24 karat gold costs like way more than 10 karat gold, right? Because it's it, there's more real gold in it. There's more real gold in it. And so, but how do you get it? How do you get gold that might rate at 8 or 10 carats? How do you get it to 24 karat purity? You, I don't want to say you burn it, you heat it up is what you do. You put that thing in a furnace, and it works the same way with silver too. We'll talk about silver in a moment. You, well, or we'll just talk about them together. You put them in a furnace and you subject them to incredible amounts of heat. And so the gold melts, it becomes a liquid. The silver melts, it becomes a liquid. And then you continue to heat it up. And then you continue to heat it up and you increase the, the temperature. I ought to look into the actual temperatures that they use uh, sometime. Metals don't usually liquefy at low temperatures unless it's mercury. And that's just a liquid all the time. But you heat it up and the more you heat it up, the more of the crud and the junk and the impurities that is in that gold, they separate from the gold, they rise to the surface, and then they sit on the top as a substance that is known generally as dross, D-R-O-S-S. That is all of the impure junk and crud, that the not gold that's in the gold or the not silver that's in the silver that rises to the top. Well, what do you do when you rise it to the top? Well, the goldsmith or the refiner or whatever he is scrapes all that dross off the top and throws it out. And then they heat it up some more. And then other impurities that perhaps were not, uh, that wouldn't let go at the lower temperature will let go at the higher temperature. Well, what's the metaphor here? What's the lesson in this? The things that you go through burn the impurities out of your character. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Why do you think the Bible tells us that tribulation works patience? And that's one of the things why we were joking last week about not teaching and not teaching out of James, because it talks about that sort of thing. You count it all joy when you fall into manifold temptations. But hi-ho, it looks like in 1 Peter we're coming across it anyway. So <laughs> if you got something that... If some things start going terribly wrong in your life, it's because God's trying to teach you about this, okay? So you can get mad at me if you want, but he says, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. But again, focusing on that, if need be, if you're going through something, it's because you need it. And it's not fun, and it does not feel good, Especially, you know, have it, going through trials that, that increase your patience, they do not feel good at all. Going through trials that increase your, your sense of temperance or self-control, or your, they increase your faculty of it, okay? Going through trials that make you a gentler person, that soften you up in areas that, that you need to soften up in, or that harden and galvanize you in areas that you need to be galvanized in. So those are... They are frequently uncomfortable and they are often painful, but they are good. And so if you do go through them, though they may not be joyful, you can still rejoice in them because it means that God is doing a work in you. 
He's doing a work in us. He's making you better, brother. He's making you better. Making you better than you were six months ago. He's making you better than you were four years ago. He's making you better than you were eight years ago or even three weeks ago or whenever it is. And so, and we've all got our stories. Goodness, we could share them sometime. Uh, I don't know if it would be edifying or it might turn out to be a huge blessing or it might just turn out to be a big everybody cries in their coffee type of thing. But we could all, we could all share stories about things we have been through. But what makes it victorious is one, when you're still in the midst of it, but you have the attitude of, I'm going through this for a reason and I know God's in control. He's doing something in me and he's doing something in my life. That's the victory before the victory's even won. And then when you do come out the other side of what you've gone through and you come out stronger, you come out tougher, you come out softer in areas where you need to be. So he says, wherein you greatly rejoice, verse six again, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness or ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. If need be, you're going through a hard time through manifold temptations. It means many temptations, problems, trials, what have you. Verse seven, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, Yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. What is he saying in all of this? You've got Jesus is what he's saying. And man, that is better than everything else. And it is worth everything that you are either going through right now or that you're going to go through. It's worth it. Well, you don't know what it's already cost me, preacher. It's actually been a pretty high price. No price is too high. And listen to me, I'm not pulling this out of the side of my head. I'm speaking from experience. Because it's cost me some things too. And I'd pay it all over again if I had to. I would. Because there is nothing worth more than Him. There's nothing worth more than Him in my life, in your life, or anything. This Again, remember the words of our Lord. Back from the Sermon on the... No, not the Sermon on the Mount. Excuse me. Remember the words of our Lord from his conversation with Nicodemus over there in John chapter 3. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So that, that's a total net loss right there. It's like, oh, well, I gained everything. I've got Bill Gates's billions, you know, and I've got, well, we may as well just throw it all in there. You know, I've got Bill Gates's billions. I've got more women than I know what to do with. That's actually a problem. Okay. <laughs> You ought, if, if you have any at all, you ought to have one. Amen? Amen. We are not polygamists. Yes. Just clarifying, in case there was any wonder. <laughs> so, it's worth it. Whatever it is that you're going through now, if anything at all, whatever's coming down the pike. And that's not to make it sound like Christianity is nothing but battle after battle after battle. It isn't. You may have, you may have seasons of battles. You may have long seasons of battles. You may have one battle that lasts you five years. But there are times of peace between those battles. And there are times of peace even in the midst of an individual battle or a struggle that you're going through. Don't cast away your confidence in God in the midst of what you're going through. Brother, it's making you 
It is making you. And though you may not see its effects in you now, and part of that may even be in God's plan right there, because a lot of times, and I think we've mentioned this before, Reverend, a lot of times the things that, that bring about virtues in us, they lose some of their virtue the moment we become conscious of them. It's like a lot of that stuff happens in the background of our mind, in the background of our character. We're not consciously aware of what's actually occurring in us until the job is done, and then we're standing there like, oh, wow, hey, check this out. Yeah. I'm more patient than I ever used to be. I never used to be this patient. This is pretty cool. I don't, I don't get mad so easy. I don't lose my patience. I don't, I, <laughs> Traffic always comes up when I think of this. You know, I'm not trying to do 50 in a 25 zone because I'm hammered down and running late and getting angry at everybody who's ahead of me just so I can get to the stoplight three seconds before them. I always laugh when that happens. Someone goes blasting past you on the right because you're not speeding fast enough for them. Mm -hmm. And then you pull up right next to them at the next stoplight. <laughs> Hi. I'm not saying I go on like that, but I always got a kick out of that. I just think it's hilarious. It's like, boy, you sure got to that stoplight faster than me. You showed me. <laughs> you are a bigger man than I am. <laughs> So he says all of this to explain there's a reason for it and the reason is good. And while it doesn't feel good, it still is good. Who here has ever been into bodybuilding? I got one hand. Okay. Who, okay let me rephrase that. Who here has ever lifted weights for any reason? Okay. Whether you were any good at it or not, it was immaterial. But maybe you had a goal you wanted to be able to bench press a certain amount. I was always terrible on the bench press. Um, these have just never been anything to speak of. Okay, my strength was in my legs because I was a cyclist for years. But um, you never got to a weightlifting goal without some pain and some struggle and some serious work, did you? Well, what was that? Well, that tears down the old muscle tissue, builds back new muscle tissue stronger. It's, it, it's as it is in the flesh in this case, so it is in our faith and in our virtues. The exercise of them, the trial of them, hardens us and makes us better and makes us stronger and makes us more and more in the image of Jesus Christ. And that's something that we can, that's something we can rejoice in. Let's move on. Let's move on to the next paragraph. We're almost, we're almost at the end. Verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you by, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Now, first reading of that is like, what in the world did Peter just say? Man, I thought Paul was bad with the verbosity and all of that. Well, Peter, you have to remember, is a different person than Paul. And so his style is a little bit different. He's speaking of this salvation that we treasure so highly. And I can actually just take this whole third paragraph and condense it down. And condense it down to, well, not, not too much. Let's just read through it again. Let's do that. 
of which salvation, that's the salvation he was just talking to us about in the previous paragraph that we rejoice in, right? Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. What's that mean? The prophets of the Old Testament prophesied of this salvation, not even understanding the nature of it. So that's one of the, that's one of the unusual things about prophets. They often spoke or wrote of things that they did not fully understand because it wasn't given to them to understand. They were things that were prophesied of for your benefit, brother, and mine 2,000 years or 3,000 years later. Your benefit, your benefit. Every one of us in here, everyone that comes to this church at all, every believer in Jesus Christ, it was written for their benefit. In fact, not only was it a mystery a lot of times to the prophets that wrote of these things, but it remains a mystery even to the angels. And that's the last thing that he mentions in this paragraph. He mentions it over in verse 12. He says, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, it's speaking of the prophets, it was revealed not to them, but unto us did they minister these things, which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. The preaching of the gospel is driven by the Holy Spirit and is for our benefit. And he concludes that line with this phrase right here, which things, speaking of our salvation, speaking of this miraculous transformation of our soul, our spirit, our character, and all of that, which things the angels desire to look into. They don't get it. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's no understanding at all. We don't really know what the minds of angels are like, okay? We don't know what the thoughts of angels are like. We just know that they are they are what they are, and they serve God, and they don't really have a choice, okay? And those that took a choice were damned for it. They really were, okay? But the angels themselves that behold God's face every day, they look at what's been done in us, and it is a marvel to them. And they have desired to understand it, and they can't. So well, why can't they understand it? Because they've never been lost. They've never needed salvation themselves because they've always been on the right side of that line. And so we who were born on the wrong side of it all, we who were born with a rebellious nature that didn't want God and all of that and just wanted to do what our flesh wanted to do and, and just live that kind of life and seek pleasure and gratification no matter what kind of destruction it might have caused to other people or even destruction to ourselves. We that were born in that evil state and lived in it for as long as we did until we heard the gospel and believed, it's a miracle that blows their minds. They can't understand it. All they know is that they've been given certain responsibilities concerning us. Like what? Well, all we know is that they are ministering spirits. That's what. And I don't want to speak too much concerning the angels or of angelic visions or angelic visitations or people that have actually seen them. They can make themselves seen. Have you ever seen an angel? No. But I've heard accounts. I've heard stories. The angels have a job concerning us but they do not understand the profoundness of the miraculous work that God has done in you and I. They don't understand. And that's okay. They don't have to understand. Just like there's some things that we don't have to understand. And that's probably a good place to park it right there. The overall message 
or the lesson to be found in tonight's study in these first three paragraphs of 1 Peter are your salvation is precious beyond words and it is precious beyond value. Rejoice in it all the time no matter what you're going through. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www dot myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving.